Our text this morning is Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning at verse 9, down through the end of the chapter. This is God's inspired and therefore inerrant word given for our blessing and for our benefit. Hear the word of the Lord. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things existed in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. May God bless His Word to our hearts and lives. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask now that Your Word would be open to us. You have been so kind as to give it to us through the prophets and apostles of old. Your Word has been handed down and preserved by Your singular care and providence. You have protected this text and You have delivered it into our laps that we might learn, that we might learn of you and of your Son and of the great salvation that he brings. We ask, O Heavenly Father, that we would not in this time seek to understand your word alone, but rather that your Holy Spirit would teach us that the one who has inspired the word would now illumine it and that he would make it alive in our lives that you might have your way in transforming us after the image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, some weeks ago we looked at the epistle to the Hebrews and saw in the first chapter that Jesus is the final word of revelation from God to us. God speaks to us in His Son definitively and, and all the other talk about God that has come before through the prophets of old, the major prophets and the minor prophets, those who spoke words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they find their culmination and their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Jesus is also much better than the angels, we are told, by the author of the epistle to the Hebrews. The angels are great, but Jesus is greater still because He is the very Son of God, and therefore He is above them, and they serve Him. In our text this morning, we see that Jesus is also a man. That He is the Son of God who has taken on flesh and dwelt among us. And the fact that He is truly human means that He is our brother. And the brotherhood of Jesus with us, our oldest and best brother, as it were, makes all the difference in this life for sin and salvation. Now, as we think about brotherhood, my, my thoughts go to family and and to my family and some of your families, you know, there's a, a great contrast on our church staff. Pastor Fred Greco is a, is a man who comes from a very large Italian family. Just by force of personality, you know that to be true. Has he ever met a stranger? I dare you to point out one. We are all part of his family, are we not? drawn in and enjoying the warmth of the circle of fellowship together. But I must confess, my own family experience is a little different. You know, I'm, I'm an only child. The closest thing to a brother I ever had was my, was my dog. <laughs> and at times my dog looked at me and had some doubts about my progeny. <laughs> my children have had to educate me about what it means to be a sibling, what it means to be a brother, what it means to have someone who's in the family just like you are. Our text this morning is about such brotherhood. It's about the most important brother of all, the brother to each and every one of us, even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the fact that He has come and has become our brother means that He has come to accomplish our salvation and see us safely to our home. The text this morning begins reminding us that although Jesus was greater than the angels, He was humbled by becoming a man. Uh, verse 9 uh, speaks this truth to us when it says, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of His death. Jesus is above the angels in His person. He is the divine Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. When the angels and cherubim and seraphim surround the throne, when they circle and sing praise and glory and honor to the triune God, they are singing praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But yet, He who was above the angelic forces, He who was the Creator of them, he who is their Lord and Master and is the one whom they serve every moment. He became lower than the angels for a time. He became one who humbled himself even down into the dust of the earth. Our first father, Adam, he was made out of the dust of the ground. God took that dust and, and he formed it and he, and He made a body for Adam in ways that we do not understand. It was a great miracle. And He breathed the breath of life into our first father. And, 
And our first mother was made from our first father's rib. This creation story is one which is true and sure. And, and we stand, stand in shock and awe at the power of Almighty God, one who was able to make something out of nothing and something amazingly special out of something so very common, dirt and ribs. And Jesus, being the Son of God on a mission, came and partook of some of that dust. He added to Himself a human body and a human soul. He, by the mystery of the umbilical cord, is connected to us and to our human race. He's not an outsider. He's not one who stands outside the fishbowl looking in. He's jumped into the water. He, he swims with us. He has all of the same facets and features of humanity that we ourselves enjoy. And so as a human being, He touches us and speaks to us and lives with us. He shows us what is right and wrong, not by thundering from the outside, but by living from the inside of our world. Even our broken world. Even our shameful world. Jesus did not consider it beneath Him to go on a mission to be with us and to work salvation for our blessing and benefit. He, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, is Jesus Christ our Lord. When we hold a newborn baby, what do you see? Beauty? Joy? Light shining forth from those eyes? It is difficult for us, I believe, to grasp this truth about the humility of becoming a baby on the part of our Lord Jesus Christ just by looking at a little child. What have we done to Christmas? It is all sentimental. It is all little baby Jesus, meek and mild. Even in the manger, no crying He makes, so we dream. But you know, life is a parabola. We sort of end not far from where we began on one level. And perhaps we can feel and sense the humiliation of our Lord in His taking on flesh and dwelling among us if we, for just a moment, feel and think of the shadow of our own end as humans falling across our face. You see, we begin life needing someone to burp and clothe and change us and you know, if the Lord is so patient with us in kind, time goes on and, and we may find ourselves in that exact same condition. How weak is our flesh? How needy are we in the substance in which we live? And that the Son of God would come and take on that. Take on flesh and blood. Take on frailty and vulnerability. Take on want and need. He who has no want or need, which is not met in himself. Oh, God. God has humbled himself. The Son of God has and dwelt among us. I may have told you before about my grandfather. He was a deary. Every Christmas and Thanksgiving, we would hear the same annual speech. Well, this will probably be the last time that we'll all be together. 
And then he would clarify, but my goal is to linger as long as possible and be as much of a burden as I can. <laughs> you know, I grew up not knowing about siblings, except from the outside. I can remember as a child hearing Neil Diamond sing that song, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. And, and I wondered, you know, well, how many pounds does he weigh? My grandfather taught me, he ain't heavy. He's my papa. Flesh and blood brings with it kith and kin and joy and, and hugs and, and sparkle in eyes, and it brings pain and agony and frailty. Our Lord Jesus Christ stooped low, did he not? He stooped low to become one with us. He stooped low to touch you in the flesh, to reach out to you with a human hand, to be able to say to you through His prophets and apostles, through His missionaries and His preachers, I know what it is like. I know you. I know what your life is like. I know how you feel. I know what you think. I am able to be your help and aid. Come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In His humbling incarnation, our Lord shows us a pattern for all of Christian living. If we're to be united to Him by faith, if we're to trust in Him with our whole hearts and, and find our future, our hope and our glory in Him, then wed to Him by the Spirit and wed to Him by faith, his experience rightly should also be our experience. And so by His humbling Himself and taking on flesh, even this day, Jesus calls to you and says, Be like Me. Follow Me. Follow Me in that ark of My humiliation. If I, the very Son of God, have humbled Myself, you too can humble yourself you too can be a servant of my heavenly Father. You too, by my grace, can know life eternal, even though you stoop also in the dust. The very Son of God came from on high and descended for us, for sinners like you and me. And also, it was not just His incarnation that was humiliating, but it was also the suffering and death that He underwent. Verses 9 and 10 say, But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Here the author of the epistle to the Hebrews is reminding us that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is a part of the triune God, and so He is the one who brought creation into being. His Spirit is the one who hovered over the waters of the earth. He is the Word of God that even before that called it into existence out of nothing. And what a parallel, what an appropriateness that He 
who was the maker and master of creation and now redeeming it should become one with us. Our brother taking on human flesh, taking on all of the vicissitudes of this life and living his life and working our salvation in our human flesh and blood. Jesus Christ our Lord embraced our weakness and vulnerability. And so he underwent pain and agony in suffering and death. It's not that he didn't understand our condition. It's not that there was lacking something in his intellectual experience or in his all-embracing knowledge. But rather the Son of God, by joining us in the fishbowl, by becoming a part of the fabric of our humanity, by becoming our brother and one with us, he lived personally that experience of life in a broken world, of suffering for those who are in need, of having his blood shed and spilled on the ground as a creature who was yet also God. He humbled himself to die for us, to pay for our sins, to drink that cup to the dregs which was filled with the fruit, not of our joy and life and light, but the fruit of our rebellion and our evil and bitterness, He drank every drop down for His people. Oh, for each and every one all, He Himself drank that to its dregs. And so in experiencing suffering, and so in undergoing death, your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ humbled Himself farther than anyone else in human history. He had come such a great distance. But he did not consider himself aloof from the mud and the muck and the brokenness of life. He fell flat into the dirt. And so our evils he bore on his back and by his stripes we are healed. You know, we might dare to die for a good man. We might dare to sacrifice for someone or think is very special. But for evil ones, for those that don't love their heavenly Father as they ought, who don't even love one another within their families and their circles of friends as they ought, a group of people who look themselves in the mirror each day and they don't even rightly respect or have affection for the one that stares them back in the face. Oh, inordinance on every hand. Access to one extreme and then to another. We are a broken and needy people. And yet Jesus Christ our Lord is our brother. And in coming to suffer and die for us, He opens up the way of salvation for us. There was nothing in us to attract Him. There was nothing in ourselves that forced or caused Him to come forward and with a full and voluntary heart come and suffer and die for sinners like us. He did it out of a zeal and love for His heavenly Father. He did it out of a oneness of mind and heart with the God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. 
He did His duty that we might live and that we might have joy and life and light even as He he and the Father and the Spirit enjoy every moment of every day. Jesus became our brother that we might live in newness and in hope forevermore together and with Him. Oh, it is important that you see Him for exactly who He is. That you see Him as the Son of God, all-powerful, all honor and glory being due to Him and to His name. And yet as one who does not give it as they ought, you see Him pick up a towel, pick up a basin, wash the feet of sinners, voluntarily go where He knows there will be pain inexplicable. An agony of soul deeper than any other human could experience because He has always been at unity one with His Father and yet dying on the cross for us, He is alienated. Alienated from us and from the world. Drinking to the dregs that wrath of God with which He Himself agrees in all its depth. Oh, you need to see Him for exactly who He is as the One who does what you can never do. The One who has become your brother in order to be your Savior. The author of the epistle to the Hebrews then also gives us a little extra needed encouragement for our lives. He tells us that the Son of God was also humbled by temptation. Verse 18 at the end of this pericope says, For because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to keep those who are being tempted. His suffering at the core was a temptation to abandon His mission, to walk away from the assignment given by His Heavenly Father and run and turn the other way. These words remind us of his wilderness temptation by Satan, do they not? Where in the desert he found himself confronted by the devil, holding out little goodies to him if he would but do his will. Make stones turn into bread, he said, and live free of your heavenly Father. And what did our Lord say? Man shall not live by bread alone. He was there on a mission from his father and would not be swayed even by his own self-interest. Jump from the pinnacle. Do carnival tricks. And they'll all love you and follow you. And it won't hurt a bit. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Bow down and worship me. I have all authority. I will give you all these kingdoms. You will have all of them. They are mine. I will give them to you if you but worship me instead of the heavenly Father. And Jesus looked at him and said, Be gone, Satan. He knew the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And so Jesus did not turn away or shirk the cross, but rather 
With his brow firmly set in that direction, he continued to march straight through the desert into Jerusalem. Straight through Jerusalem and to Calvary. Straight to the place where the nails would be driven and the spear would be thrust. And he would give out his last breath saying, It is finished. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. What a beautiful and glorious and triumphant picture. Jesus facing temptation. He who never had faced temptation in all of His existence as the very Son of God. Never having, having any temptation find a seat in Him to the least. Now finding His flesh, His weak human flesh, know something of the attraction firsthand of the temptations we face. But yet he never gave in. It never found its hook in him. He rejected the devil every step of the way and so he can help you. His humility can help you because he understands what you face each day and he can come alongside you and say, I know what you need. I am able to provide it. Find your rest and trust in me alone and you will be saved. Isn't that a great big brother? Isn't that a wonderful one to love us enough to come and care? To come and suffer? To come in humiliation and die for our sins? And it's not just that He's a brother who has done something for us in the past. He continues to do great things for us in the present. His past work is relevant to us even now. And the author of the epistle to the Hebrews affirms for us the importance of Jesus' continuing ministry to us. He quotes from the Old Testament three times in the middle of this passage. He quotes from Psalm 22 and then also twice from Isaiah chapter 8. He affirms or proves the fact that Jesus is our brother by his association with us as mediator, as our prophet, priest, and king. He says in verse 11, For he who sanctified and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Here Jesus is being affirmed as our prophet. One who speaks. One who affirms to his brothers and sisters sitting with him in the worship of God the fact that he can bring them before the Father in righteousness and holiness and truth. I will tell of your name, O Father, to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, the assembly of the people of God, I will sing your praise. Jesus sang the Psalms. Jesus read the Scriptures. He preached the Word of God. The Word read and preached and sung. And boy, could He pray. Prayer. Scriptural prayer in honor of His Father and His Father's holy will. In each and every way that He should, He led us in worship 
and so showed that he was the mouthpiece of God. And then he quotes from Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 17. Again, words in the mouth of Jesus, prophetically given before his incarnation, that we might know that when he comes, he's truly our brother. I, Jesus says, will put my trust in him, that is, in my heavenly Father. He opens that door and shows us the way. What real faith in the Father is like. What it's like to look to the Lord and not complain about Him and not to deny His existence and not to twist who He is and turn the other way, but yet to affirm and to assert heartfelt trust and love to His Father. I will put my trust in Him. And so He leads us all to love His Father as we ought. He had a human heart. He had the same human will that you have. And He turned it and gave trust and honor to His heavenly Father as you should as well. Oh, Jesus is your priest in that He leads you through that exercise. And He has made it possible, is He not? Both by dying for you on the cross and also by interceding and praying for you even now that you might know His Father better, that you might live a life in submission and devotion to Him better today than you've done the day before. Oh, your big brother, He loves you and He shows you what's good and right and He cares for your soul by pointing you to the way. And He's also our King. The next verse is Isaiah 8. 18, and here Jesus also says in declaration of the goodness of His Father, Behold, I and the children God has given Me. And so He speaks before His heavenly Father and He points not only to Himself and His relationship to His Father, but He points to all of us. It's as if He gestures and says, Look! Look at all the children, the Father that God has given me. And we are reminded that all those that have been given to Him by His Father, He will will not lose a one. They will not be snatched out of His hand. Oh, He is our prophet. He is our priest and He is our King. And it's not just that He has ministered to us in this way, but He continues to minister to you each and every day. You... Have a Bible in your lap. You have the command to read that Word and to study it and to love it and take it to your heart and mind. And that is because He is your prophet. He has sent every word as a gift to you. A special telegram. A special love letter to be opened and to be enjoyed. Do you remember the last love letter you got? How many times did you read it? How did you hang on each word? Fellas, even smell the envelope to see if there's a little perfume there. And so our Heavenly Father, has He not sent His Son? And has His Son not sent His Word as a gift? And does it not smell sweet to our souls and delightful to our eyes and transforming for our living? He works by and through His Word. And what a difference He makes in our daily experience. 
We must trust Him. We must be united to Him by faith and by the Spirit. But what a blessing He gives us as our mediator, our great high prophet. And as our priest, He cares for us. He leads us in worship. He directs us to full trust and salvation in God rather than in ourselves. And so He continues to pray for you that your growth in grace and that our fellowship together here as the body of Christ in Christ church will be one that will be honoring to Him and will be a sweet savor that attracts many and causes them also to come and love and trust in Him as well. Oh, He is our prophet and He is our great high priest. And He is also our King. He asserts that He's our brother. He affirms that He knows us. He identifies with us. He has not sent us away because we're unworthy. He is the King who has brought us out of darkness and into light. We have the privilege and pleasure of being in His family because He is the monarch. Because He can do what no no other can do. In our brokenness and sin and misery, we don't even want God. We're not even interested in Him. He's but an offense or a joke to us. But the King of kings and the Lord of lords who cries out and says, You are Mine. He takes us out of that darkness. He calls us from the dead into newness of life. And He gives us to His Son who ministers to us and transforms us each and every day. Jesus, our prophet, our priest, and our King, our brother King, who is our only ground of hope and salvation. And then the author of the epistle to the Hebrews ends by reasoning how this suffering of Jesus, our brother, how his death on the cross makes a difference in our lives. You know, it's very tempting to us as evangelicals to to mention the blood of Christ and, and to mention the sacrifice of Jesus and atonement on Calvary and just to leave it with those words. But in this most mature Christology in all the Bible, we find inspired words which teach us that we need to understand more about who Jesus is and what He's done for us. The author emphasizes here that it's only Jesus who can save us from our sins. Verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now here we are in a perfectly nice theological epistle and he's bringing that old devil demon back up again. Why talk about the devil at this point when when we're enraptured with the glorious vision of Jesus as our revelation and higher than the angels and, and even becoming our brother that we might be saved? What's the devil got to do with that? Well, the cross of Christ strikes out at the devil. The cross of Christ deals a death blow to that enemy, that old enemy of man. The cross of Christ is how 
the seed of the woman crushes the head of the seed of the serpent. Down through Old Testament history, there was a great titanic struggle that went on. The struggle through the blessed line on the one hand and and all those other aspects of, of the human tree of life which had turned away from God and rebelled against Him. Oh, there was that great covenant of grace hope. That blessed line which continued down and and through whom the Son of God would be born into the world as our brother and our Savior. And that struggle all along and and the enmity between these different parts of humanity is recorded for us in in the historical books like in 1 Samuel that we're now beginning to read together through as a congregation. There's the seed of the woman on the one hand and and the serpent and his seed and line on the other. The the ones that are under the domain and, and under the covenant blessing and umbrella of God versus those who are outsiders who are cut off and and have no interest in Him and hate Him and ignore Him. This this two great masses of humanity, the sheep and the goats. And the sheep are headed by the Son, the seed of the woman. And the goats are headed by the serpent and His seed. And the cross of Christ crushes the head of that enemy, crushes the head of one who would be the purveyor of lies and death and heartache all our lives. And He brings light and life where there was but suffering and death before because He defeats the enemy on His cross. Through death, He destroyed the one who had the power of death, that is, the devil. He broke His reign. He got us back as His own possession. He has taken rulership over His people. And they are no longer caught as slaves in that horrible and dark estate. You see, that He through death might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. It's not just the devil out there that threatens our lives and, and from whom we need salvation, but it's, but it's even in the world here we find ourselves alienated one from another, alienated from those who bear the image of God just like we're alienated from God Himself. We find ourselves estranged. Estranged from neighbors. Estranged from even kith and kin. Our own flesh and blood. Our own wives and children and husbands. We find ourselves alienated from in the flesh as broken and sinful creatures. But the cross of Christ provides a way out. The cross of Christ delivers us from fear, delivers us from alienation. The cross of Christ puts us back in a firm place so that we do not have to fear death and fear suffering and fear the ignominies of this life anymore. And to whom does He give this aid? Surely not to the angels, He says in verse 16. 
but to the sons and daughters, to the offspring of Abraham. Oh, the cross of Christ relieves us of this alienation as we walk through the world. We are even alienated from ourselves, and only in Christ can we find peace with the one who looks us back in the mirror. And then there's God. He had to become a brother of ours, the Son of God incarnate, that we might no longer be at distance from His heavenly Father, that we who are far off might be brought near, that that objective alienation from God might be overcome and that we might have sweet and warm, heartfelt union and communion and true, ever-flowing newness of life because of who He is and because of what He has done. He has propitiated the wrath of God. And having satisfied that wrath, having dealt with it fully, we find that our Father has no more objection to us, but rather embraces us as sons and daughters, welcomes us into the family. He sets rings on our fingers, crowns on our head. He robes us in glorious attire that we do not deserve. And He says, welcome, you who are blessed of My Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Oh, the cross of Jesus does that. His death and suffering as our brother secured that end. And so we have peace forevermore with God our Father through Jesus Christ our brother and our Lord. And there's no family better than that. And there's no brother better than that. And there's no hope or life better than that. Trust in Him. Trust in Him today. And you will enjoy a great family. And God is your Father.